Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, from the Middle East to the Pacific Rim, America's influence is being tested around the world. The deadly conflict between Israel and Hamas has entered week seven with no clear end in sight as Israeli forces intensify efforts to eliminate Hamas in Gaza. Caught in the crossfire, Palestinian civilians and a society on the brink of collapse. Are we any closer to rescuing more than 200 hostages, some Americans, still held by Hamas? We'll check in with some key players from the Biden administration, Capitol Hill, and around the world. Then, after President Biden's long-anticipated face-to-face meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping, what's next for America's relationship with its biggest rival? We'll hear from the bipartisan leaders of Congress's China Committee. Finally, as tempers flare here in Washington... Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Thoughts on the importance of restoring civility in our public discourse. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin with the deteriorating conditions in Gaza and new warnings by the United Nations that disease is a growing concern as civilians shelter in crowded spaces with scarce food and water. Meanwhile, it appears a deal with Hamas to release some hostages in exchange for Israel allowing in some aid to Gaza is taking shape. Qatar's prime minister, who is involved with mediating the talks, said today that an agreement is within reach. MTS Tayyip is in Jerusalem with the latest. They walked for days from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in their thousands to demand the hostages being held in Gaza be released. Bring them home now! And to vent their fury at Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's failure to meet regularly with the families of captives. Our government isn't talking to them, doesn't, isn't telling them what's going on, what's on, the, what's on the table, what are the offers, what are the reasons for and against. Nothing. Nobody's talking to them. Multiple parties, including the U.S., have been negotiating for the release of captives, potentially in exchange for a five-day pause in fighting and a major increase in humanitarian aid. The negotiations remain ongoing as Israel appears to be expanding its offensive against Hamas from northern Gaza to the south, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were told to flee for their safety. But nowhere, it seems, is safe. Massive Israeli airstrikes across Gaza over the past 24 hours have killed dozens of civilians. Many of the victims are children whose tiny bodies were wrapped in white cloth before being taken for burial as loved ones try to make sense of the incomprehensible. But it's the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City which is being called a death zone. 
The World Health Organization were able to access it after Israeli forces took control of the main health center earlier this week and are working to evacuate the remaining medical staff and patients, including 32 babies in critical condition. The Israeli military took us to the sprawling hospital complex on a late-night visit to show us what they say is evidence of a Hamas command center that was operating underground, which includes this apparent sand-filled tunnel opening and these weapons. The existence of the apparent Hamas command center, which the U.S. has said it also has intelligence on, has been central to Israel's justification for its assault on the hospital and beyond. There's been so much damage, so much devastation to this hospital because this hospital was described as a command center for Hamas. Did you find a command center? Oh, yeah. We found a few. What does what that mean, a few? Okay, I'll talk about it. But what you see here is a fraction of the uh, equipment we found. And since our visit, the Israeli military has made multiple statements about the so far underwhelming evidence of the apparent Hamas command center at Al-Shifa, saying we were only shown, quote, preliminary findings and that more details would be shared soon. Hospitals, of course, have protected status under international law, Margaret, but Israel insists its assault on Gaza's largest and most important medical facility falls within those boundaries. Great reporting now from MTS Tayyip in Jerusalem. We go now to the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner. Good to have you back with us, sir. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, you've said that that absolutely brutal and horrific attack on October 7th um, by Hamas was a huge intelligence failure. Things were missed. And then there were operational failures, as we know, once that attack was underway. Given those massive blind spots... Can the U.S. actually be confident in Israeli intelligence now when it says that what it's doing is with full accuracy? Well, I think there certainly is a gap that, that was unexpected with respect to Israel's intelligence gathering. You know, when we saw the, the failures of October 7th, where they failed to see the, uh, the uh, emerging horrendous Hamas attack and the taking of hostages that, that resulted in what you're reporting, um, we we wondered whether or not it was a lack of focus. But now that the United States is actually working with Israel in trying to assist in, in locating Hamas and understanding Hamas's structure, we're actually understanding that, that Israel has a gap in also capabilities. Now, of the operational aspects, as you related, um, because we saw a lack of response after the Hamas uh, attack began to unfold, there also were concerns as to whether or not Israel was going to be able to go into uh, Gaza and to be able to locate and to dismantle uh, Hamas. Uh, but I think everyone's seeing it, they're progressing at a much faster rate uh, than, than anyone had expected. Uh, but still, as we see now, the reports that are coming out, out of Gaza, as Israel reports what they're accomplishing, there certainly is, is concern and doubt. Do you believe it is a militarily, um, potentially successful goal to eliminate Hamas? Well, certainly with any terrorist group and organization, it's not just the individuals that are operating it that you have to look at. It's also its function, its structure, its finances, its weapon systems, its command and control. Those are things that certainly Israel has the ability and they are prosecuting the war uh, to that. Uh, so they can significantly diminish Hamas's ability to conduct attacks mm -hmm. on Israel and also give the Palestinians an opportunity to, to bridge to some other form of, of government in Gaza. You know, the Palestinians in Gaza are just as much a prisoner and certainly victims of, uh, of Hamas, as, as we're, we're seeing uh, you know, with the effects on Israel. I want to ask you about threats here at home, but very quickly, um, have you seen intelligence to back up some of the reporting that says some of these Hamas attackers uh, who were just so brutal that they were actually on an amphetamine called Captagon? I know some of your Republican colleagues are trying to take action. Was that a factor here? We don't have, I've not seen intelligence specifically okay. about that. Like you, I've seen the news reporting. And it's certainly very troubling because it, it certainly shows the viciousness of, of the attack. Uh, here at home, the FBI director, I know, recently testified that foreign terrorist groups, including al-Qaeda, have issued specific calls to attack the U.S. How do you understand the threat to the homeland now? You know, this is very... Uh, um, very unusual for the FBI director to so publicly make these statements. And certainly in his conversations with the Intelligence Committee, they've been on an unclassified basis. So we have the ability to talk about it. It certainly shows the extent to which uh, these threats are, are troubling the, the, the director. And what he's indicated specifically is that you know more than a decade 
uh, the increase in terrorist threats to the United States inside the United States uh, is at its highest uh, ever. And he cites um, you know, the, the chaotic withdrawal of Afghanistan and our loss of intelligence gathering there. Mm-hmm. He cites the southern border and individuals who are allied with international terrorist organizations that have crossed the border. You know, those are two Biden administration policies. So for the FBI director to cite those uh, where the where as, as threats, yeah. where the threats are emanating, certainly shows you how important these statements are. OK, so what would it take to get you on board with supporting um, some sort of overhaul of border policy? I know that in the Senate they're talking about trying to bundle together some of these initiatives. Well, I think they I think they should be bordered together. And I've been at the White House several times talking about you know what we call sort of the quad national security package where they're looking at Ukraine, Taiwan, East Asia. But border border has to be a part of it and not just funding for the border. It needs to be policy changes. Our border needs to be secured. The FBI director has specifically cited that individuals come across that border allied with international terrorist organizations are a threat internal to the United States. So uh, Congress went home for the next few weeks, uh, and you got a lot of work to do before the end of the year. One of those things potentially is reauthorizing Section 702, which allows agencies to gather data like phone calls and text messages from foreign nationals abroad. Uh, some of your Republican colleagues like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates, have said they, they don't like Section 702. Is the Republican-controlled House going to reauthorize this and when? Absolutely. The problem is that there's a bunch of misinformation out there. What you just said is absolutely correct. 702 allows the collection of foreigners outside the United States who pose a national security threat uh, to the United States. Uh, we have to continue to collect that data and information. It's from which we are able to keep our country secure. And certainly in that, we also capture those inside the United States, like those terrorists who've come across uh, the uh, southern border that the FBI talks about as being a threat here their communications outside the United States with those terrorist groups and organizations so we can track them down and prevent those attacks. This is absolutely essential. This is our post 9-11 structure. As our national security threat increases, we have to make certain that we maintain the tools that have kept us safe. And just uh, to clarify here, I know that Border Patrol has said there are people who've come across the border whose names match the terror watch list, but that doesn't necessarily represent a terrorist or a suspected terrorist, uh, just for anyone who's concerned there. Um, on the but, but the FBI director has specifically said that there are individuals that are, are allied with international terrorist organizations who have come across the border that pose a threat. Yeah. That's, that's the part of what his last two weeks of public statements have been. I want to ask you about classified documents um, because CBS has been reporting that special counsel Robert Herr is near the end of his investigation into President Biden and his alleged mishandling of classified info. If there are indeed no charges brought, which is what we are reporting, what do you think the signal will be to the national security world? Well, it, it, this will be certainly devastating, continuing to be devastating to the Department of Justice and to the Biden administration with their two-tier system of justice. You know, Biden has been found to be a serial classified document hoarder over a 10-year period. He's been taking classified documents, some of the most sensitive that threaten our national security home without any protection and, and certainly, you know, a, a, able to, to, for others to be able to access them. Um, there needs to be consequences. Uh, the fact that Hillary Clinton, who had you know over 100 classified documents at home when she was Secretary of State, and Vice mm-hmm. President Biden, both under Obama at the same time, were taking classified documents home and, and certainly had them be vulnerable with no consequences shows the Department of Justice is not pursuing Democrats. Uh, well, as you know, there is a difference with the case against President Trump, who refused to hand over documents fully and violated the Espionage Act. That's the charge against him. Because he didn't well, it's, work it's, with the government no to hand those over. Biden, Biden, Biden had these documents for yeah. over ten years. You can't hoard documents in your home for a ten, a decade-long period, concealing them, taking them home as a senator and vice president, and then suddenly say, "Hey, two weeks while I was president, I, 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 I cooperated, and therefore, you know, it doesn't count that I spent yeah. ten years as a serial classified document hoarder." All right. Uh, well, we're going to have to leave it there for today. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Thank you, Margaret. We go now to the Deputy National Security Advisor, John Finer. Good morning. Good morning, Margaret. I know hostage diplomacy is extremely delicate. We've been close to a big breakthrough before and then fallen apart. But this morning, Qatar's prime minister says we are close enough to reach a deal and the differences are just logistical at this point. Does the U.S. share that assessment? What I can say at at this point is we share the assessment that many areas of of difference uh, that previously existed have been narrowed, uh, that we believe we are closer than we have been. 
uh, to reaching a final agreement, but that on an issue as sensitive as this and as challenging as this, uh, the mantra that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed really does uh, apply, and we do not yet have an agreement in place. And so until that is the case, you know, we're not going to lay out all the details uh, in public. So Israel's prime minister said on CBS recently that uh, they had intelligence indicating that there were hostages at Al-Shifa Hospital, but none were found. There were two bodies found nearby. Um, did the U.S. share the assessment that hostages were being held at, at the hospital? Because there was a release suggesting that uh, from declassified intelligence the U.S. shared. Was the U.S. assessment wrong? So what I am uh, going to tell you is what we have put out in terms of uh, intelligence uh, that we have been able to share and that we've been able to downgrade on al-Shifa. And look, this is a, a microcosm of the challenges associated with this entire uh, conflict, because this is obviously a, a hospital where there are patients who are being treated, the most advanced hospital in Gaza, also a place where uh, innocent civilians have gathered uh, during the course of this conflict. And all of those uh, innocent lives are, are, are sacred uh, to us, are equal in value to, to lives anywhere. Uh, that are innocent. Uh, we have also said and been quite clear that we have intelligence information, not just Israeli uh, intelligence, but American intelligence, that Hamas has used this facility uh, to build terrorist infrastructure, uh, to do command and control for combat operations. Uh, and we've been quite clear about that. But we have also said that none of that uh, authorizes, in our view, uh, direct uh, military strikes uh, from the air or on the ground uh, against that hospital. So that is the complicated knot uh, that the Israeli Defense Forces find themselves in. And that is how we are uh, advising them to proceed at this point. Right. Uh, the downgraded assessment shared by the White House said um, the U.S. believes that there could be uh, in Al-Shifa Hospital a command node and tunnels underneath and that in the past, these hospitals have been used to hold hostages. That's why I was asking you, since none were found there, if the U.S. actually thought there would be hostages there. Um, there has been no One thing I'd say about that, Margaret, yeah. is, is that facility is still being uh, exploited by the Israeli Defense Forces. I expect you'll see more information uh, in the coming days. I think we feel confident in the information uh, that we've put out, and, and, and let's see uh, what their investigation uh, reveals and where it leads. Israel's prime minister was on this network this week and told my colleague Nora O'Donnell uh, that they are trying to cause minimal civilian casualties, but, quote, unfortunately, we're not successful. Given that acknowledgement by Israel, I wonder um, if the administration is applying the Leahy Act here that would allow for the United States to restrict some military equipment based on human rights uh, basis. Is Israel exempt from that, given what's happened and what Israel is acknowledging? Do you need to change that? Uh, no countries are obviously exempt from laws of armed conflict or from uh, U.S. statutory restrictions. But beyond that, I'm uh, not going to say more. What I will say, though, is is uh, we have been quite clear that Israel has every right uh, to defend itself against the threat that it faces. Uh, that includes, uh, by the way, the right to go after Hamas leadership, who they say now have, have fled uh, to uh, the southern part of Gaza and have uh, sought refuge there. Uh, so in, in, the, in the event that we uh, believe that Israel is likely to, to uh, embark on combat operations, including in the south, uh, we believe both that they have the right to do that, but that there is a real concern uh, because hundreds of thousands of residents of Gaza uh, have fled now from the north to the south at Israel's uh, request. Uh, and we think that their operations should not go forward until... Uh, those uh, uh, people, those additional civilians, uh, have been accounted for in their in their military planning, and so we will be uh, conveying that directly to them, and have been conveying that directly to them. They should draw lessons uh, from how the operation proceeded uh, in the north, uh, including lessons that lead uh, to greater uh, and enhanced protections uh, for civilian life. Things like narrowing uh, the area of of active combat, clarifying where civilians can seek refuge uh, from the fighting. Uh, but I'll also reiterate uh, that Hamas takes no such uh, precautions. In fact, openly and wantonly uh, flouts and, and almost brags uh, about its desire to perpetrate uh, war crimes. And so uh, this is an adversary uh, that does not hold itself to the standard that, that we and others uh, believe is essential. Understood. Hamas is extremely brutal. I want to quickly ask you about President Biden's uh, op-ed that he published uh, in The Washington Post. He said the U.S. is prepared to issue visa bans against extremists. He was referring to Israeli settlers moving into the West Bank. Does that threat have teeth, given that there are estimates that American citizens make up as much as 15 percent of the settler population? 
Look, the, the president has been extremely clear, I think, far beyond uh, even what many of his predecessors said about our concerns uh, about developments on the West Bank, and in particular, our concerns about violence uh, perpetrated against innocent uh, Palestinians by extreme settlers. He said that uh, in public speeches. He said that in an op-ed uh, that he has published uh, just this weekend. Uh, and as he indicated, and as we are now moving uh, to operationalize, that could include uh, consequences that the U.S. would impose on people associated with violence against innocents uh, in the West Bank, including uh, a ban on them being able to travel uh, to the United States on, on visas. And, and we are um, uh, moving in that direction, and, and we'll have more to say about that, I'm sure, in the coming days. Understood. John Feiner, thank you very much for your time this morning. And Face the Nation will be back in a minute, so stay with us. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're now joined by Maryland Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen. It's good to have you here. It's good to be with you, Margaret. In person. A lot to talk to you about today, but I want to quickly just ask you, since Congress just went home for the better part of two weeks, they haven't reauthorized a lot of things. Um, and they haven't passed the supplemental for Israel, for Ukraine, Taiwan. Is that going to get done before the end of the year? We have to get it done by the end of the year. Uh, we have to pass the supplemental uh, request, uh, which includes, as you say, desperately needed military assistance for Ukraine, uh, support for Israel, humanitarian uh, assistance, uh, as well as uh, support for our partners in the Indo-Pacific uh, region. Uh, one of the issues, as I'm sure you know, that's being discussed is trying to get something done with respect to border security mm -hmm. and immigration reform, and there are ongoing bipartisan discussions as we speak. I understand that's happening through the recess. That's true. That is. For the border. Do, uh, do you know, I mean, is it really realistic, though, that that's a very hard issue, that that's going to get done before 2023 is up? Well, there are good faith negotiations going on. Uh, whether they get done or not, I don't know. But let me just say, it seems to me that given the desperate situation in Ukraine, mm -hmm. um, it is irresponsible uh, for people to say that we're going to allow Putin to continue his assault um, on Ukraine um, and only going to provide that assistance if we get a deal on something else. I want to get a deal on immigration reform, but it doesn't make sense to me to connect the two. So uh, you wrote a letter this month um, endorsing more funding for Israel, but also pressing the Biden administration on its assessment of whether these military goals are actually achievable and how that country is protecting civilians. Are you satisfied with what the White House has told you? Uh, we're still awaiting a public uh, response uh, from the Biden administration. We've not received that public response yet. We have had outreach um, at the highest levels, uh, and we've been offered, those of us who signed the letter, uh, to meet with the president's top national security and foreign policy team uh, to discuss some of those issues. But, but we are still waiting uh, an answer uh, to the letter uh, because we asked a lot of questions that we think are important to get answers to. This is hurting the president with his fellow Democrats, isn't it? Well, I don't know if it's hurting the president with fellow Democrats. Uh, I do think it's important uh, that the president uh, speak out more clearly uh, on this issue. Let me say this. In the aftermath of the horrific Hamas attacks of October 7th, uh, you have, I think, virtually every uh, senator supporting Israel's objective mm -hmm. of going after Hamas and neutralizing them from a military perspective. No more October 7th. Yeah. Uh, but we also need to do, as Secretary Blinken said, um, see how Israel conducts this operation is important. Um, and so many of us were concerned uh, just a few weeks ago when one of the White House national security spokesperson mm -hmm. uh, was asked if the United States has any red lines. Yeah. Um, and the answer was no, uh, which means anything goes. And, and that cannot be consistent 
uh, with American interests and American values. So that's why we're asking these questions. It can't be consistent because that's not the policy for any other country that the United States provides military aid to. Well, look, that, that's right. right. Look, we, we have a, a policy of trying to make sure that our funds are used in the manner that advances our interests and our values. And if you look at what's happening uh, right now uh, in Gaza, the desperate uh, humanitarian crisis, clearly that's more that could be done. Um, and if you look at the level of civilian casualties, Secretary Blinken himself has acknowledged that there are additional measures uh, mm-hmm. that the Netanyahu government can take to reduce uh, the, the high level of civilian casualties, uh, two-thirds of them uh, children. Uh, so uh, this is why we're asking the president questions. We want to work with the president to get more assurances uh, that our interests and values will be protected. Senator, I want to pick up on something you've been raising concerns about for a while. Uh, Going back to July, I found a letter where you were saying to the White House you had concerns about the more than $3 billion in security assistance to Israel because you thought taxpayer money should not shield settlers who are attacking and burning Palestinian villages with impunity. Last night, the president started very publicly saying he's going to start trying to crack down. What do you think of this plan to restrict visas. I was pleased to hear the president say what he he said, uh, and I fully support the president's plan to restrict visas uh, from people who have a record of violence um, against innocent uh, people. So I think that's an important first step. Uh, As you know, uh, extreme settler violence against Palestinians uh, has been an issue for a very long time. We've seen a huge spike uh, in extremist settler violence uh, since the the Gaza war started as people have been focused on the war there, uh, 500% increase. Uh, the Palestinians have been killed uh, by extremist settlers. Their houses burned down, pushed out of villages. Olive orchards chopped down in the middle of the olive uh, season, which is um, the number one income producing time uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of these villagers. So this is a big, big problem. Remember, in the Netanyahu coalition, you have some very extreme members. Mm-hmm. Smotrich, Ben Gavir, one of them, uh, you know, belongs to the successor party to the Kahanas party, uh, a party that was on the U.S. terrorist watch list. Right. So this is why it's very important for the United States to weigh in and weigh in strongly. I'm glad to see the president do what he did. And they were in the government well before October the 7th. That's right. Just quickly, you've made some statements that being pro-Israel doesn't require being anti-Palestinian and vice versa. Why do you think that that's a controversial statement? Well, it shouldn't be, right? right? Because... Um, you can be both pro-Israel, as I am, and also pro-Palestinian and support Palestinian rights and aspirations to self-determination and a homeland of their own. In fact, the president's vision when he sees some light maybe at the end of this dark tunnel um, has been uh, a two-state solution. Israel living securely um, with a Palestinian state uh, as a neighbor uh, where Palestinians have equal dignity, Uh, and full rights. And one of the problems with what's happening on the West Bank right now is when you push uh, Palestinians off of their lands, you make it even harder to have a two-state solution. You strengthen Hamas, you weaken the Palestinian Authority, and you make it harder. So uh, I was disappointed to see Prime Minister Netanyahu smack down uh, President Biden's uh, call uh, for a two-state solution. This is going to mean that the president, President Biden, has to do even more to put forward a clear vision mm-hmm. of how we're going to emerge from this very dark tunnel into a brighter future. I think we all hope for a brighter future. Senator, thank you very thank much you. for your time today. And we're going to turn now to Jordan's ambassador to the United States, Dina Kawar. Ambassador, good to have you here. Thank you very much, In Mike. person. Um, so before the war, there were more than 2 million children in Gaza. Estimated 4,600 have been killed in the past few weeks. And for those who do survive, many of them are disabled. I wonder what you think this does to the security of the region to have these next generations so impacted. Margaret, the images we're seeing out of Gaza are not the same images that the United States is seeing on the mainstream uh, media. We're watching our uh, social media, and everybody in the Arab world is doing the same. The images are flabbergasting and very, very sad. When you see parents looking for their, the remains of their dead uh, kids in, in supermarket bags, or you're seeing children looking for parents or any familiar face because they're left alone in this world. Now, out of the 11,500 dead, the majority are women and children, for sure. And this is 
asking ourselves, like 17,000 to 18,000 children are going to be orphans. What do we do with that? Some studies have shown that some of the Hamas, the majority of Hamas uh, fighters were orphans. So our call here is for a ceasefire. The Jordanian government is asking for a ceasefire. And His Majesty has spoken about the importance of going to a ceasefire. Not because we, we uh, want to think differently from the rest of the world, but because we feel that with the Arab countries and with the Islamic countries, this is the only way forward to stop yeah. this war and to sit around the table and go back to negotiations. The humanitarian situation in the West Bank is beyond. And right now what is worrying us is the UNRWA reports that are coming out of, of Gaza. Yeah, UNRWA is the one on the, on the ground and they've lost 103 people out of them. Uh, you've, you've lost 49 colleagues as journalists. We've lost 200 people from the medical health system. Mm -hmm. And UNRWA is worried because out of the 154 centers they have in, in the West Bank, in, the, in Gaza, sorry, yeah. the, they are inundated with around 830,000 IDPs. These IDPs came from the north to the south because displaced they were asked. People. Yes. Right. And these displaced people were asked to leave the north in no time to go to the south. And now they're asked to leave the south. Didn't, didn't anybody think that if Hamas is in the north, they would go to the south? Didn't anybody think that this military strategy is going to work? So our worry is that this violence is going just to breed violence and it's putting pressure in the region. And if we cannot uh, talk to the moral compass of the world, mm -hmm. nor to the humanitarian uh, uh, feelings. Let's talk strategic, strategic thinking. And that's where we're going. Well, and I want to uh, go there with you as well. We should say that estimated 4,600 children, that's from the Gaza Health Ministry. But no one has an accurate assessment, including the United States government, because they can't actually get in there and count bodies. Yeah. Um, but it is a tremendous amount of death. Uh, your government has had to airdrop in medical aid to some of the personnel you do have on the ground there. I understand there was a, a, an attack against a, a field hospital. Yeah. Who carried it out? What happened? Okay, we have a hospital, a military hospital south of Gaza City, and now we're going to have a second one in the south of Gaza. Now, the one that was uh, uh, struck was, uh, there was there's a mosque next to the hospital, and the Israeli uh, military bombarded that mosque, and people were running because they were injured run, running to the hospital. And as our military people came out to help them, they got also hit. So we had seven injured, and now they're okay. They've been uh, taken care of. But we do not find it normal that, that all the hospitals are attacked. We do not find it normal that we're attacking civilians and, and a collective punishment. Mm -hmm. This cannot go on, Margaret. This cannot go on. It's not solving the problem. So uh, now, now there's a third hospital in the West Bank as well. Also concerning the West Bank, because we're talking about Gaza a lot, just one yeah. word about the fuel shortage in Gaza. It is getting so complicated that we, that we are worried about the health hazard in, in, in Gaza. The WHO, the World Health Organization, is warning that if there is no fuel coming in, it's going to be a problem for the sewage system, for the water pumping desalination. Yes. And dogs are eating bodies if you, because they, 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 not everybody is able to, to put uh, people into, into burial mode. So we need to worry about this because otherwise we will have diseases that we didn't have before. We need to get more openings. Yeah. And our uh, charity, the Hashemite Charity Organization, is working a lot on, on getting these aid. And we're calling upon the, the world that is wanting to help to either help UNRWA that is on the ground or buy items that are in the country, in, whether in Egypt or Jordan, to help to send Let to Let me ask to, you, because uh, um, Jordan has had a peace treaty with Israel for 30 years. You have trade. You have all sorts of um, contact with them. Do you worry that the next generation of Jordanians or the surrounding countries will not be able to maintain the peace that they have had for decades because of what's happening now? Well, there's a lot of pressure. Is it destabilizing? It, I wouldn't say the word destabilizing, but it is putting a lot of pressure on, on His Majesty and on the government because people are angry. They see the images every day. I mean, we're all angry. It's very humiliating. It's very hurtful and it's, it's inhuman. And we're just wondering how far is this going to go? We're calling for a ceasefire. We're calling to go back to negotiations. And as the senator said, 
you do not to be you do you the only way to be pro-israeli is to ask for peace and the only way to be pro-palestinian is to ask for peace and this is common grounds for both of us so we need to go further on that and on the settlers just as a word in the west mm -hmm. bank the settlers are going haywire unhinged and are not caring about the law and nobody's able to stop them every day there are eight attacks on palestinians and they are mistreating them, humiliating them, sending videos all over social media of them naked and in, in situations that are unacceptable. They are attacking also the Armenian quarters. They're attacking Christian uh, uh, worshippers mm -hmm. in, in uh, Jerusalem. So we're wondering how much more do they need to do to be stopped? So I was very happy and we were very happy to see the op-ed of of the president. Mm -hmm. We're very uh, grateful that he mentions the issue of the settlements and that they need to to think about the civilians and stopping we'll of the see. killing. We'll see if there's more on that this coming week, as the White House has promised. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We go now to the chairman and ranking member of the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, Republican Mike Gallagher, and Democrat Raja Krishnamurthy. Good morning to you both gentlemen. We like bipartisan conversations on this program. So welcome back. Good morning. <laughs> uh, Thank so you. Good to be here. I want to put it to you both, Ben. Can you work together to pass this, what, $4 billion President Biden is asking for for Taiwan and Asian allies before the end of the year? Uh, Congressman Gallagher, Republicans are in control, so I'll go to you first. I think we can, and I want to uh, salute the ranking member for his leadership in setting the serious tone that our committee has been operating under. The rest of Congress has been descending into what looks like a high school reality TV program, but we've been able to work together, and so that gives me a lot of optimism, particularly in light of the growing threat to Taiwan. One thing that went almost unreported amidst Biden and Xi's summit is that she tripled down on his threats to Taiwan. He reportedly said to the president in their meeting that peace and stability in the region are less important than solving the Taiwan question. The CCP's official statement afterwards said that we need to stop arming Taiwan and support their reunification efforts. So all of this should remind us that no amount of relentless diplomacy will make a difference if we don't fix the fundamental problem which is that the balance of hard power across the strait and throughout the Indo-Pacific region is eroding, and with it, the risk of war is increasing, yeah. which is why we need to act before it's too late. Congressman Krishnamurthy, you're, you're confident before the end of 2023 this is going to pass? Uh, we have no choice. We have to pass this. The president is absolutely correct to ask for this funding, not only for Taiwan, but for Ukraine, as well as Israel and other priorities. They're all inextricably linked we have to make sure that we send the right message to Xi Jinping. Now, uh, a recent survey showed that a majority of voters believe that a war is possible in the next 10 years. And uh, they're very concerned about it. Three quarters of Democrats and Republicans want us to prevent war. And the best way to do that is to make sure that we deter aggression by equipping Taiwan with what it needs to prevent aggression, but also to tone down the rhetoric mm -hmm. and make sure that we have diplomacy with the highest levels of the CCP. Tone down the rhetoric in an election year, no less. Um, Congressman Gallagher, I read that you want to uh, subpoena potentially the main sponsors of a dinner that Xi Jinping attended with some of the biggest CEOs in the United States, CEOs from Blackstone, KKR, Pfizer, Boeing, FedEx, Apple, BlackRock. Um, 
What do you seek to achieve there? Don't you know the names of everyone who bought tickets? Uh, well, I never mentioned a subpoena, so I don't know where that report is coming from. I'll comment broadly on the dinner, which I thought was disgusting. Uh, well, Bloomberg got it wrong in this case. Um, $40,000 to uh, eat coffee rub flank steak and sip cake bread Sauvignon Blanc with Xi Jinping. And what's worse than that is the fact that they gave him a standing ovation. This, a communist dictator who's committed a genocide in Xinjiang, who's committing a cultural genocide in, in Tibet, who has completely destroyed civil society in Hong Kong, who's risking, as we just talked about, provoking World War III, to give him a standing ovation. And what's even worse than that is it wasn't just the people you'd expect, like Tim Cook from Apple or BlackRock. It was American defense contractors. All the more reason why Congress, I think, needs to step up to cut off the flow of U.S. capital to Chinese military companies, to specify the appropriate level of de-risking or diversification so we have a healthier economic relationship, to modernize our military, because corporate America and Wall Street have proven time and again they are willing to sell out American interests in order to make money in China. But the two economies are so incredibly intertwined. I mean, the very fact that Absolutely. Rahm Emanuel, uh, the president's ambassador to Japan, said um, these CEOs literally have their R&D, their intellectual property stolen from them, and they gave Xi Jinping a standing ovation. Doesn't that just tell you that China's great, greatest leverage here is financial? And the reality is that it's not going to be unwound. Well, it has to be unwound, well, at I least in part. I'm not arguing be. for a total decoupling. Go, Go ahead, ahead, Ross. Sorry. Mm -hmm. No, I was just saying that I think that our, even without any U.S. government action, I'm, I'm heartened that uh, a lot of companies in the private sector are de-risking, are reducing their exposure in China. Um, that particular dinner left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't think that people were paying $40,000 for the coffee-crusted steaks. They were, per, they were paying for access. Um, I hope that they also brought up some of our concerns with regard to economic aggression that the CCP is routinely practicing against American entities. Um, for our part on the select committee, I want to just uh, say uh, I'm very glad to be working with Mike on ways to work with the Biden administration to reduce our investments in entities in China that are fueling the PLA's military modernization and human rights abuses. Thankfully, the Federal Thrift Savings Plan listened to us recently when they decided to remove investments in precisely those entities. So I think what we're doing on the committee is having a difference. Uh, Congressman uh, Gallagher and Kristen Morthy, I want to ask you about what you thought was achieved at the summit, because expectations were set very low, right? Just answering the phone, military to military, um, and getting China to enforce some of its existing policies to cut down on the flow of fentanyl uh, precursor chemicals. So do you both think this was uh, a success just to simply have the two leaders face to face? Well, I welcome the establishment of a crisis communication channel in so much as it reduces the risk of miscommunication leading to war. I'm skeptical of the fentanyl agreement, I have to confess, only because we've seen this movie before, but certainly I, anything to reduce the devastating effects of that fentanyl is causing all across America would be welcome. My concern more broadly, and while I think it's too early to characterize this one way or the other, is that whenever we have summits like this, we tend to pay cash up front, but for the CCP, the check is always in the mail. And as I said before, the most important form of communication is the investments we make in our own hard power posture in the Indo-Pacific. And there, we're simply not just moving hard enough. We've had two administrations now of different parties that have failed to implement a deterrence by denial posture in the Pacific. Congressman Kristen Morthy, was it success? I, well, I think it was very promising. I think that the agreement with regard to cooperation on fentanyl is a good first step. I also like the establishment of the military-to-military -military communications channels. I, I, quite frankly, I like the fact that Xi Jinping was pandering, and he's going to send a few pandas to the United States and uh, increase commercial flights both ways. What I would have liked to see a little more is talk about the human rights abuses and the crackdown on Uyghurs, Tibetans, and dissidents in China. Um, I'm hopeful that we can see more action on that particular score. Mm -hmm. But look, Margaret, the expectations for this summit were super low. 
Um, you know, as long as a Chinese spy balloon isn't flying over the U.S. now, uh, following this latest meeting, I think that uh, it's probably going to be viewed as having met expectations and exceeded them, probably. The, the comments from Xi on the pandas was a little squishy, too. It wasn't a hard commitment that everyone's getting their pandas back here. Um, but, but, Congressman, on the, the one thing that you have, as I understand it, subpoenaed was in regard to an illegal biolab uh, in California. Your, your committee took this on. What did you discover and what's your message to the administration? Well, local officials in Reedley discovered this illegal biolab where there were transgenic mice. There was all sorts of equipment. There were vials containing Ebola, HIV, dangerous pathogens. And when they called the CDC and the FBI, they refused to investigate. The CDC hung up on them in many cases. We also discovered that the owner of the biolab, Jesse Shu, was a fugitive. He was here illegally. He was fleeing a 330 million IP judgment against him. And he was receiving all sorts of unexplained uh, wire transfers to the total of $2 million from China. He was a China, Chinese national. Bottom line is we just don't have appropriate trip wires in place. You can buy some of this stuff illegally online. We need to have a more robust defense in depth for bio labs like this. We can't allow this to happen again. And we need to support local officials, yeah. not uh, uh, hang up on them when they call the federal government. Understood. Um, more to talk about with you both. Thank you for your time today. We're going to have to leave it there. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Congress has not been the friendliest place of late, but even by today's diminished standards, we were struck by the lapse in decorum on Capitol Hill last week. Since Election Day on November 7th, more than a half dozen members of Congress have announced plans to retire, resign, or seek another job. This past week's stunning lack of civility on Capitol Hill may offer a glimpse as to why. A U.S. Senator, Oklahoma Republican Mark Wayne Mullen, challenged a testifying witness, a Teamsters boss, we'll to a fight. Up, you stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution? Americans have enough contempt for Congress, Senator Sanders said. Let's not make it worse. The former Speaker of the House denied intentionally hitting one of the members who voted to oust him. No, I did not help him. No, I would not help him. I mean, it was just a clean shot to the kidneys. This breakdown in discourse sparked comparisons to the 1850s when pro-slavery Democratic House member Preston Brooks beat anti-slavery Republican Senator Charles Sumner unconscious. The nation was on the cusp of civil war then. It isn't clear what we're on the cusp of now. Former president and leading Republican candidate Donald Trump. We will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country on stage at rallies, on TV, and on social media. Inflammatory language is common. Rival Chris Christie derided it as TV tough guy talk. When Ron DeSantis thinks it sounds tough, by saying he's going to slit the throats of bureaucrats or shoot immigrants stone cold dead at the border, this is fundamentally unserious. The FBI warned again this week of a heightened threat environment in the U.S. These protesters claimed to be in favor of Mideast peace, but they injured six Capitol Hill police officers outside Democratic Committee headquarters. Violence the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, condemned as he defended the officers. It isn't clear how the safety of those very same officers will be impacted by his Friday release of the explicit security footage of the January 6th assault on the Capitol. 
A year out from a heated presidential race, let's all bring some civility back to our politics. The serious issues facing our country require it. We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, Maryland Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen, White House Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer, Jordan's Ambassador to the U.S., Dina Kawar, and the leaders of the House Select Committee on China, Congressman Mike Gallagher and Raja Krishnamurthy. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.